Ballpark, downtown Minneapolis. This is the Chin Music Baseball Show, part of TalkNorth.com. Lavelle Emil III is sitting across from me. I'm Jim Suhan from the Star Tribune. Brandon Morton is our producer. Great to be at O'Donovan's again. Uh, the show is sponsored by Grain Belt. And today, during the show, there will be a special $5 Northeast Pints. Highly recommended. Uh, also, we'll give away a Jim Cott bobblehead at the end of the show for the best question asked during the show. Now, we don't have a, a mic set up today because of feedback issues, but if you come up, give me the high sign, ask the question, I'll take your name, and at the end, we'll give away a, this beautiful Jim Cott bobblehead. Might also have some other giveaways during the show. And if somebody just brings me a beer, I may just give them the Jim Cott bobblehead. <laughs> okay. We, <laughs> we, you, uh, you sell low, but, you know, but that's okay. We yep. understand. And, you know, Today reminds me of when I lived in the South, and day like this, people in the South, you know what they call it? What? Called a cold beer. In the <laughs> South, you can't call it a cold beer. You had to call it a cold beer. Cold beer. Cold beer. No, no LD, just cold. Uh, cold beer, that's right. Uh, I think we might be, both be partaking of uh, some Grain Belt cold beers here soon. All right. This is our baseball show at TalkNorth.com. Best way to listen, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. We do a series of live shows in conjunction with Grain Belt. We are again at O'Donovan's, great place, right by Target Center, great for Wolves, Lynx, Twins, First Avenue action. Uh, come on by, classic Irish pub. We appreciate Dermot having us here. But let's get to some baseball here. Um, Lavelle, we've been at the ballpark a lot this week. It's getting fun. Yes, it is. Um, it's amazing when you have an offense, what it does for a team. And they've had exciting games. They had back-to-back walk-off victories. Um, they've swung the bats in other games. Uh, people are excited. They're, they're starting to pay attention to every pitch, which lets you know that when the fan base is engaged, that stuff happens. Um, and they've been able to distance themselves from Cleveland in the division. It's been, it's been a cool week of games there. Um, bullpen performances have been great. A couple of nice pitching outings. Bailey Ober continues to pile up quality starts. Um, but it's watching, to me, it's just watching... Edouard Julian and, and Alex Kirilov revived this offense. Um, Julian's ability to not swing at balls and put a great swing on strikes. And Kirilov is starting to gain the traction that he was trying to gain the last couple of years before that wrist injury kind of slowed up his development. Uh, it's really cool to watch these two kids at the plate because I think when they go to the plate that they're getting hits. And um, when you have that feeling, you know, I'm sure fans have that feeling too when they're sitting in the stands, gets them fired up. No doubt. It, this reminds me of a conversation I had with Gladden, I don't know, maybe a month ago, and the Twins were not playing well. They weren't producing the plate. And, of course, people like you and me are like Buxton and Correa need to get it going, because they do. And Gladden said, you know, what really energizes a team is when young kids come up and start producing. He said that can change an entire season around. So, you know, like Knobloch in 91. I mean, it, it just seems to bring life to the clubhouse. Because these guys are experiencing all this for the first time. They're fired up. They bring some youthful exuberance to it. They're not jaded. And you're seeing that. Julianne is probably the best hitter on the team. Kirilov, probably the second best hitter on the team. Yep. And yeah, they want to get cut, uh, They want to get more out of Correa. They want to get more out of Buxton. We'll talk a lot more about Buxton later. But those guys really have provided the impetus. Yeah, I, let's think about this. About a month, a month and a half ago. That's good. You know, I sat there, and I felt bad for Rocco because how in the hell do you write a lineup out I know. when you've got guys, they're all under, like, some guys are under 700 OPS. 
uh, a couple guys under 600. How in the hell do you figure out a lineup with a legitimate leadoff hitter in a, a middle of the order? You know, I mean, it was just weird combinations by default. But now we're seeing the same lineup now. Correa into Julian, into uh, Kirilov. And, then and now into Kepler. Pe yeah, and into Kepler, although I don't think that's the case today. Uh, yeah, maybe against the right-hander. So um, there's some continuity there. You know, when Jorge Polanco comes back, you know, hopefully he'll add to the continuity. Um, you know, and I sat there, and I was beating the drum for Correa get dropped down to six in the order. Of course, Rocco goes the other way, puts him in the layoff spot, and he's flourishing. You know, so now, you know, when you see the top of the order come up, there's hope. You know, that, that hopeless, hopeless feeling about scoring two or three runs is no longer evident with this squad. Now, I did a uh, podcast with Michael Rand earlier today, and he was like, oh, well, they're, they're batting average in balls and plays through the roof right now. It's going to come back down to earth. I went and looked it up. The Twins are 15th in baseball over the course of the entire season which tells me their hot streak basically is um, evening out from how the depths that they had at the beginning of the year. So maybe this is what it's supposed to look at, like. This is also why you need to watch the games, though. Yeah. And understand the games. <laughs> because we're seeing a completely different hitting approach. By the way, uh, Joe just brought, us, brought Lavelle a very tasty-looking grain belt. Perfectly poured. Perfectly poured. Northeast Pines. So Lavelle's going to enjoy that. And Lavelle might be even more entertaining by the end of the show. It's very possible. <laughs> hey, we are coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio. Thanks to our sponsors, Aquarius Home Services, allenergysolar.com, Grain Belt, and O'Donovan's. Again, we'll, do, we'll be doing another live show August 24th. We'll get you more information as that date closes in. I give Rocco credit because he moves Correa. Correa is not a leadoff hitter. He's not fast. He doesn't steal bases. He doesn't take extra bases. And he... You know, he has a decent on-base percentage career-wise, but he's not a great hitter. But you put somebody in the cleanup spot, and they stop trying to carry the team. And they clear their head, and they say, I'm going to just have a good at-bat. I'm going to get on base. And all of a sudden, his approach changed completely. I really think that turned him around. I agree. And I still think he's aggressive early in the count. But when he gets two strikes, there is a discernible two-strike approach yep. that he has now. He's willing to go to the opposite field. Actually, he'll still do that early in the count as well. And I just think that keeps him on the ball a little bit. He's letting the ball travel more. And he's giving himself a chance to be a hitter, man. Um, just looks more professional. And you might be right. Him trying to carry the, the load in the three spot, you know, trying to do big things every at bat, you know, maybe they need to take a step back like this and kind of reset, you know. And fortunately, they don't need him to bat third right now. But if he goes back down there, maybe he'll be in a better frame of mind to handle that, that shift. But... Uh, yeah, I just wish Byron Buxton would uh, have, have the same approach as Correa, but his is opposite. He still looks like he's pull happy because um, when Buxton's going good, he's hitting line drives over the second baseman's head yep. and walking in the third base because yep. him walking is faster than most guys running in, in Major League Baseball. But, you know, Correa coming to life definitely has helped uh, the Twins here. And, you know, right now it's not a lot of power, but, you know, maybe it ends up turning into power as we get later into the season as he gets more comfortable with what he's doing and starts hunting for fastballs a little more. You mentioned the uh, batting average with balls in play. Yeah. Listen, I, I get that's a, a useful modern statistic, but I, I think we also always need to examine the analytics, not just accept the analytics. Why would they have a better batting average with balls in play lately? Because they're using the whole field. They're harder to defend. They're hitting balls that have a chance to find greenery. Right. 
I, the, bet, the better approach is leading to a better average of batting average of balls in play. If they continue to have a good approach, I bet they continue to have balls fall in. Now, and, and success breeds more success, too, because now they're seeing the benefits of what they've been doing here, and now they don't have to get in the, ba in the box and get too wound up to try to hit like a three-run homer or to do something fantastic. Just put the bat in the ball and let good things happen. Um, seeing that with Kirilov, especially when he drives the ball to the opposite field. Julian got called up driving the ball to the opposite field. Don't have to worry about him. But I'm curious to see how Walner and Larnick uh, act now. Now that they're getting, they're in the lineup now, getting the stretch of the bats. Uh, they both had time to shine yesterday in the comeback win against the Seattle Mariners. Um, will that tri trickle over? Ryan Jeffers. I think Jeffers is hitting the ball to the right field. Yep. So, you know, it is getting contagious here. Uh, you know, they're probably sharing information with each other in the dugout and before games, and it's just all kind of working working really well right now. Baseball is such a strange game. Lavelle, we've been talking about what hitter could they go get, who's going to turn it around for this team. We are on the cusp of this team having too many hitters. <laughs> By Friday, they're going to have Buxton back from paternity leave, and they're going to have Polanco activated, and they're going to have Royce Lewis on the way back. Yeah, I know. That's, that's a big one because I want Royce in the, in the lineup as soon yes, as he gets back. every day. He was the one who started the let's go to right field mentality. Yes. You know, the guy who has less than 500 career bats is setting the tone for guys with, like, 3,000 career bats in terms of, well, when I get the two strikes, I got to, you know, cut down my swing and use the outfield. There's a lot of grass out there, you know? Someone who's been in the league for about 10, 12 years should be saying that. Not the kid who, who's been up here off and on for three years. So, um, yeah, I don't want to say it's a good problem to have, but they got some decisions to make. Right around the, the trade deadline time as well. So I'm, I'm trying to see... It's interesting to see how, how the Twins navigate this now because I, I part of me doesn't expect Joey Gallo to be on the roster really? a week from now. Really? I don't I don't think so. Um, Walner, Wal, Larnick is up. Walner's up here. They're both not pushovers at the plate. Um, Gallo's strikeouts were a bad fit for this lineup at the beginning because it's already strikeout intensive. Um, yes, he plays good defense. Yes, he's a good athlete. And yeah. If you start worried about injuries, he could go play center. But you know what? You can deal with that in other ways. Um, I just think to clear a roster spot for some of these other kids, like Larnick, Walner, full-time rest of the season, I think it's got to be on the table by August 1st. Now, counterpoint, Gallo has one of the better OPSs on the team. I know. He's a, a very good right fielder. He's a very good left fielder. He can play center. He Really good first, first baseman. Yep. And... He's willing to do pretty much anything you ask him to do. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying I'm, I'm saying it would be interesting to see what, what they would do with him. And are you thinking they, they trade him for a prospect just to clear the path? That's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping would happen. Uh, I hope it's just not just a DFA. And just no, let no, him no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, I, but I think I still, you know, the, the strikeouts drive me crazy. There was an amazing stat on the stadium scoreboard the other day. He has the fifth highest home run per at-bat ratio in Major League Baseball history. Home run per at-bat? Really? Uh, Better than Ruth? Were, the others were like Ruth, Judge, Bonds, and I think A-Rod, if I, if I read it right. If the man could just hit 230. I know. <laughs> that's a 40-point improvement. I, got, I mean, it's just, he's, he's hard to watch. I know, but... but the numbers say he's producing, again, OPS is kind of my quick reference. How valuable an offensive player are you? Yeah. It's still better than most of the people on the team. And it has been for most of the season. 
How you doing? And it's, it started um, beginning of the year. I think the first month he had like 1,000 OPS. So he yeah. was like rocking the road. I'm like, okay, this signing can work out. Because if he bats over 200 and hits 35 to 40 homers, it's worth it. But, you know, he got injured a couple of times and pink eye and things like that. And I just, he hasn't been the gallo that I wanted to see. And where do you improve? I mean, you know, I mean, Kepler could be the other guy too, but Kepler's been hitting a little bit better. He's, he's a very good right fielder, and he's playing well, and I don't know how much you'd get for him in a trade. Of course, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the thing. If you're a team that's winning with a guy, do you trade him because he's at high value, or do you say, why yeah. mess with it? You've been waiting for this all year, and now you're getting it. Why trade him now? And plus, here's the thing about the, you know, like Twins fans on Twitter. They're throwing out these trades. It's always they're always fleecing the hell out of the other team. Right. You know, they're what, always trades that the other team would never do. Yeah, you're, if we if they move make a move with Gallo and Kepler, they're trading at uh, the trade. They're selling low because they're underperforming. So that's going to affect what you get back. You know, so it's not like you made them getting like an A ball guy who's not on the forty man. You know, just to clear up a spot. You know, so. You have to be uh, you have to be careful, just like demanding trades and saying, "Well, they should go after this guy," and just give him Kepler and Gallo, and it's a middling, middling re- re- prospect, and it's a done deal. It doesn't work like that. No, you know. Um, and listen, I'll admit it. I was done with Kepler about a month ago, but he's he has surprised me. He's played great lately. I just don't mess with it. Right. I just I just wonder if they're blocking some guys now that could be doing better, could be more productive than they are. But do you trust? I mean, Walter and Larnick both have had stretches. Do you really trust them to be the guys in a pennant race? I trust Walner and Larnick to not bat under 200. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think the OPS would be representative enough to justify them playing more. So, um, so I guess I'm saying at least a 7 at 50 OPS, hopefully higher than that. Interesting. Let's reset here. He's Lavelle Neal from the Star Tribune. I'm Jim Suhan from the Star Tribune. This is our Chin Music Show at TalkNorth.com. We are live today from O'Donovan's, right by the ballpark, right next to Target Field, right next to Target Center, right next to First Avenue. We are going to give away a Jim Cott bobblehead to the best question asked of us during this show. If you have a question, come up, tell Lavelle, and we'll ask it on the air. We'll try to answer it, and the best... At the end of the show, we will give away the Jim Cott bobblehead to the best question. Uh, once again, here at O'Donovan's, they are offering $5 Nordy's pints. Lavelle's drinking one of them right now. It's delicious. Highly recommend it. Um, one of us has to be responsible, so I'm not drinking one right now, but maybe <laughs> later. And again, we are coming to you from the Aquarius Home Service Studios and O'Donovan's. Thanks to Grain Belt and All Energy Solar. All right, so let's get to Buxton. I wrote about him today. I talked to a bunch of people at the ballpark the last handful of days. Here's what's fascinating, Lavelle. I, I didn't find out anything definitive. But I didn't find out anything definitive in part because I'm getting different answers from different people in different parts of the organization. I think, I think Rocco believes it's working. At least you're keeping him on the field. Maybe there's a hot streak in him. If you play him in center field, he's going to get hurt. He's going to go on the DL. And then you've lost him maybe for the season. I think other people in the organization are saying, he's a DH who isn't hitting. What value is that? His speed is being wasted because he's never on base. He either hits home runs or he strikes out. He's not using his speed. Why not give it a shot in center field? Maybe that loosens him up. Maybe you're getting back a gold glove outfielder who will perform better at the plate because he's 
back to being an athlete. He's moving around. He's loose. He's not up sitting in the dugout obsessing over every batted bat. So I think there are some different opinions there. I think there are also different opinions as to whether you put putting him in center field would mean he's just going to get hurt or whether maybe it loosens him up a little bit. Uh, I... I, I disagree with Rocco's uh, approach to this. I think at, at this point in the season, when you need to uh, put your foot on the throat in the division, uh, you've got to go with the guys who are the hot hand and who, are, who you, you can get production out of. It's been four months now with Byron and uh, waiting for him to get on fire. And I do think that him not playing in the outfield hurts him. I think yeah, he gets energy out of being a good defensive player. Yep. And I think that carries over to the plate. And as you pointed out, when he's not hitting, I don't think he's learned how to be a DH in between the bats. Do you watch film? Do you get a couple swings in? Do you pretend to be the bench coach? You know, um, do you call Nelson Cruz for advice? I don't know if he's uh, been able to. Uh, it sounds like he hasn't been able to master that. So, um, I don't know what Popkins is telling him in the batting cage either. You know, but it's not. And then here's the thing. If you decide to sit him down for stretches, that may be the fire he needs under his rear end to, to get going. Don't, don't, don't be afraid to use the bench as the hammer here, especially when these young bucks are up here producing and uh, they're helping the, the Twins average, what, six runs a game since the All-Star break. You know, he's got to go with the guys who are contributing and uh, making the, team, the Twins a more dangerous team. Buck is not doing that right now. Maybe there'll be a baby boost out of this thing. You know, he just became a, a father for the third time uh, yesterday at 2.30 a.m., you know. Uh, Bear is a very interesting name to go with Brixton and Blaze. I can't wait to see if they have a fourth kid or what they would name a girl. If a girl was born, what her name would be. Barbie. <laughs> Barbie? Oh, no. <laughs> no, we can't go there. This has been the summer of Taylor Swift, Beyonce, and Barbie. <laughs> it's, it's just been, it should be about baseball. <laughs> um, I will say I talked to some people who went to Beyonce the other night. They said it was a fantastic show. Apparently, P.J. Fleck took a bunch of gophers to the concert. That's I'm, cool. I'm like, who paid for that? <laughs> oh, there's a lot of money in college football, man. There's a lot of money. I, I don't begrudge. I don't begrudge any college athlete getting to do stuff like that. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna criticize that. Well, that's also, too, I don't want to get too far away from baseball, but... That's all right, we'll get time. That's why Minnesota is Minnesota, and Blacksburg is Blacksburg, and Lubbock is Lubbock. You know, that's your, that is your uh, recruiting tool with these kids. Hey, you're not going out in the sticks. You're going to be by a real city where you do real things like go to see Beyonce. It's great, great recruiting. Yeah. I mean, if, if I were a good young athlete, I never had that experience, but I would want to go live in a place like Minneapolis is a place that... I've been to Lubbock. I'd rather be in Minneapolis, man. <laughs> Thank you. One more aspect of Buxton that is difficult, confounding, is that, like I asked Rocco yesterday, would you like to see Buxton come back from the paternity leave with a different hitting approach? And I'm looking at it, hey, everything he does is pull the ball foul, pull it to left field, hit it in third baseman, or swing and miss. Even his good swings are left center or left. And he usually is hitting a home run to left center or left. So my premise was, would you like to see him use the whole field more, like a lot of your other hitters have? Rocco basically said he's, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to stay back. He's trying to. So I talked to some other people, and they basically intimated that, hey, if his right knee is not right, he's not going to load into his right side, stay back, and use the whole field. He might not be able to do that. Then that means to me that he should be put on an injured list. And, 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 and 
shut down to see if that knee can get right, or if it's not going to get right, then you have to consider the, uh, what you don't want to consider and shut him down for the season. If that knee is stopping him from being a, a, uh, the hitter he needs to be, then the, that is, should be a, an, an enormous concern for the Twins, the coaching staff, and for the front office because you made a $100 million investment in him during the offseason uh, to be a terrific uh, five-tool player. He's barely using one tool right now, which is the power. He's not hitting for average, so it's like power is the one thing he does when he touches the ball. And it's remarkable. When Buck puts the bat on the ball, it explodes. I mean, you look at him like, should he really have that much power? Uh, but that, that's where my comp to Eric Davis has always been. Because mm-hmm. Eric Davis is kind of a wiry, lanky guy, and he had pop. He, like, hit 37 homers one year and throw 50 bases. I was like, to me, that would be Buxton's, like, dream year, you know? Uh, same type of body type. But, um, you know, he's not a high average hitter. And if he can't load, and he, he can't let the ball travel so he can hit it to the opposite field without, you know, stressing that knee or, or, or feeling pain, then to me it becomes a medical issue, you know. Um, and let him get right. See if two weeks off helps him get right, you know. I wanted him on the injury list right before the All-Star break so he could just sit out th- the injury list part, the All-Star break, and then come back and see how he, how he did. But that didn't happen. They got a chance to do it here. The team's playing well. They've got, a, they've, they've got the easiest schedule in the league the rest of the, rest of the way. Um, he can come back from the, the, the baby boost and go, you know, hey, your knee's sore. Take another 10 days off. And let's say you are and try to reset. I don't disagree. Here's what I'll say, though. It's a lot easier for us to say that. If you're Derek Falvey, do you want to go to Joe Polad and say, uh, you know, the guy we signed for $100 million, he's not really doing anything, so we're just going to shut him down. <laughs> yeah, but he's been playing like he's been shut down. I know. I know. It's not an easy thing. It's not. But if it's a, if it's a medical issue, then, um, and he's not playing well with the medical Because, look, we've covered people in the past who know how to compensate for injuries or their shoulder may be giving them problems and still get it done. You know, um, he's not doing that right now. No. You know, so what do you want to be? You want to put your best team on the field on a nightly basis? Is, is the Twins lineup the best lineup with Buxton batting 2-0? I'm sorry, is it 196, 198? Is that really the, the Twins' best lineup with him batting 198? No, it's not. So, and I'm a Buxton fan. I mean, the talent is undeniable, but it's not working this year. You know, it's a lost season for him. I hate saying that because he's had lost seasons before, but this is a kind of a lost season for him. You may have to just pull the court. And if they open up the DH spot, then all of a sudden you have the right amount of players. You, you play have Blanco flexibility. Third, you keep, or, you get, or the thing is, if the DH spot is open, you can move Julian to DH, and then you can play Polanco at his natural position. Right. And then when Royce comes back, he's just your third baseman. Yes. Tell you what, a lineup doing what it's doing right now with Polanco at second, Julian at DH, and Royce Lewis at third base would be scary. It would be. It'd be exciting. There'd be a lot of balls yes. in play, you know, and a lot of line drives. And they'd hit as many home runs. It's just they would all their their non-home run at bats would be more productive. Right, right. And Lewis would probably bat like eighth or ninth in that order. He would connect with the top of the order. Oh, it'd be nice, you know, because Polanco event. Rocco's going to bat Polanco fifth or sixth when he first comes back. Within a week, Polanco will be back up in the top four, either batting right behind Correa in the two spot or maybe even lead, maybe even clean up instead of Kepler. I don't know. But 
And the thing is, if you put Polanco fourth, then you're breaking up your lefties. You could break it up Karloff and Kepler, and, yeah. and that would be a, a, a better look for this lineup. Yeah. Yeah, because now, um, you know, late innings, you can, you're, you're, deter you're destined to face a lefty <laughs> in late yes. innings, you know. So uh, this way would make it a little harder for a manager to send a lefty up there. So before the All-Star break, I sit down with Joe Polad, and he basically sends some shots over the bowels, right? Hey, he's not happy, frustrated, wondering when this team's going to get going. Uh, I asked him, you know, are you going to be as patient as all the other Polads were, or would you make changes? And he said, that's a good question. And he, he kind of avoided the question, but he also let you know that he doesn't want to be that patient with this group. Since then, they have the best record in baseball. Do you think there's any reaction from this team to, uh-oh, we better get our asses in gear? Uh, I think it's, I don't know if it's 100% that the reason why. I wouldn't be surprised if it was part of it, though, 20 or 30%, 40%. Uh, once again, they're playing a crappy schedule right now, and they're taking advantage. They're beating the teams they should be beating, which I will say during the first half of the season, that wasn't the case because losing to Washington was just drove me up the wall. And then uh, there was another bottom feeder they lost to. Detroit? Detroit, yes. So um, I think it's part of it. I'm sure that people read that with great interest. And I give, you know, Joe was pretty savvy there. For a young guy, you know, he didn't want to come out and said, you know, we've always been patient here you know, with the, with the family, and it's been, that's served us well through the years. He did not want to say that. Uh, he wanted to leave a dangling, a little bit, he wanted to leave a dangler there, a cliffhanger, and I said, well, if this, is, if this continues, dun-dun-dun-dun, and I think people probably did notice that. But I think it also helps that um, your two youngsters in Kirilov and Julian started hitting, because they're not, they're not the ones who are going to read that and no. react. They're like, Man, I'm just trying to get established in my career. Yep. You know, so veteran guys are going to read that and go, oh, oh crap. Um, and the schedule. So it could be part of it. I'm not, I'm not going to dismiss it at all. I think it could be part of it. But I think usually something like this happens, there's a multiple, multiple factors at play. Now, you said something that a lot of Twins fans have been saying all year, which is they, they keep losing games to bad teams. They can't compete with the good teams. I, I, my theory about this team is, this season is much more about how they play than who they play. They took the season series from the Yankees. Back in the, you know, how often have they done that? Right. They took the season series from the Yankees. They took the season series from the Astros. And they've lost to bad teams. And so they, they could have beaten the Dodgers at LA. And they could have beaten the Dodgers in a three-game series yeah. at Dodger Stadium. I think, it, I think this team can beat anybody when they're on, and I think they can lose to anybody when they're not taking good at bats. I agree. I agree. And, like, those, those series against Detroit and Washington that we, um, we brought up, that's when they're at their most confounding, uh, <laughs> uh, offensively confounding uh, of the year when they weren't putting together bats, weren't stringing hits together. Um, they're scoring runs by solo homers, no bus riders, as the old school guys like to say. It was aggravating. It was hard to watch this offense. It was here. I think our first appearance here, I said to you, I said, this team is starting to aggravate me. You know, it, 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 was, it was unwatchable at times, watching them try to hit and looking confused and looking hopeless. Um, but out of this wreck that happened a few times in the first half, you know, we've seen the young guys step up, and now you're seeing guys go, I'm going up here to do something. I'm going up here to do some damage. Um, it's amazing how, you know, a few, well, uh, a few games strung together can do for a team, what it can do for a team. Because I think that's what happened with this squad. They had, they ran into the teams they could beat. 
They beat them. They started feeling good about themselves. Like the last time we were here, I was saying, we need this homestand to be the series in which they, the homestand which they get right. They're getting right now. You know, it's just a couple weeks late for me. But they're starting to get right. Cleveland's struggling. And they're six games over 500 now with a chance to go a season high, seven games over 500 tonight. It is Tuesday night before the Twins play the Mariners. As Lavelle said, at the moment, the Twins are on a hot streak, best, best record in baseball since the All-Star break. We are live at O'Donovan's, right by the ballpark, right by Target Center, right by First Avenue. You know where it is. Great old Irish pub uh, owned by our friend Dermot. $5 Nordy's Pints until 6.30 when we wrap up this show. $5 Nordy's Pints. Uh, thanks to Grain Belt for sponsoring the show. Thanks to O'Donovan's for hosting us. Thanks to Aquarius Home Services and AllEnergySolar.com. And thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. Do you think David Popkins changed his approach? Do you think he got through to these guys? Or do you think the hitter-only meetings are what helped them start hitting the ball to the opposite field and improving their bets? I don't have any evidence to show that Popkins has changed or did something different to get these guys going. All we know is that uh, the hitters started taking more ownership in these pregame meetings. And maybe the seeds were planted in these meetings that, are, that have grown into what the offense is now. So I'm going to give the players credit for taking some ownership here and, and exchanging information and, and being their own hitting coaches and being each other's hitting coach and, and kind of collaborating. The Derek Falvey uh, uh, quotation word, his catchphrase, collaboration. Uh, this has been a collaborative of, uh, approach to offense, and it's clicking. So... You know, and there's been times, there's been off-seasons in which you think the Twins are coming off, you know, having a good, uh, there's been off-seasons where the Twins, Pitchacoke seem to be in solid ground, but he's been replaced. You know, I can still see a change made after this season. Yeah. Um, I just think it's hard to change a pitching coach uh, or a hitting coach at midseason. They were forced to when West left right. in the middle of the season. And, you know, there was a month where it was really raggedy. And then they kind of gain traction uh, during the second half. Um, if you move someone like Popkins, you're destined to call up someone from the minors. Uh, you're not going to be the Yankees and get Sean Casey out of the announcer's right. booth. They come, they come talk to your hitters, you know. So I think all this will be evaluated during the offseason. You know, and when, they, when they've seen something wrong, they have not been slow to act. Garvin Austin, I think, was a pitching coach for one year, and they moved on from him. Um, and he was the bullpen coach, you know. They moved on from him. Um, who else got? Uh, yeah, because that was the whole battle between analytics and guts and things like that, you know. Um, they've been forced ever since James Rousson left. You know, I've been trying to kind of replace James, and it hasn't uh, worked out well. So uh, James is an assistant coach with the Tigers now. Uh, this would be a step up. I would not be a – I would not – I would see no uh, – Shame in their game if they call uh, Rawson back after this year. Well, I, I thought very highly of Rawson. I'd love to see him back. I, I don't want. I feel guilty. I don't want to sit here and call for a hitting coach to be fired. Right. But if they decided to make a change, James Rawson ideal. You know who else would be ideal if he wanted to live that life again? Justin Morneau. Yes. Morneau, um, Morneau was one of the smartest hitters I've ever been around. I've been around a lot of smart hitters. Yep. Yeah, and, um, you know, he's learned from a lot of people. He's learned from Joey Votto. He's learned from a lot of people he's accounted in his, uh, throughout his career. I don't think Crystal will allow him to go on the road. <laughs> I just don't think no, that's it's, it's, a, it's a tough life, yeah. and when you have kids and a farm and a happy life here and you get to 
be a broadcaster when you want to. I don't see it happening. I'm just saying his the way his mental approach to hitting is as good as anybody's I was ever around. No. That's why I'm always uh, encouraged when I see him on the field talking to Larnick. Mm-hmm. When Larnick's up in the majors, uh, Morneau makes a point of going down to speak with him um, before games, and that can only like help Trevor going forward. And it can be a, a, a boost to Walner too. Yes. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. He would be a really uh, heady guy. But I don't know who else. I mean, what makes a good hitting coach? You know, Paul Molitor tried to be Seattle's hitting coach. He tried to change Ichiro. After a month, he was like, you know what? Go back and do what you're doing. <laughs> Ichiro went back to get 200 hits in the season. You know. So and we talked about this before. Sometimes it's hard for the great people to tell, teach other people how to be great. I was great because I was great. It just what clicked for me is not going to click for you. That's the amazing thing about the hitting coach position. Rod Carew and Paul Molitor, two of the greatest hitters, two of the smartest hitters in baseball history, both got fired as hitting coaches. Think about that. How about that? Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. Oh, another guy who, who if you talk to him about hitting, he sounds brilliant, but he's been fired multiple times. Chili Davis. Yeah, Chili's really sharp, too. Yeah. yeah. I, I, think, I think the hitting coach is there to, to throw ball, throw batting pa- practice, pat guys on the back, and they got to figure it out for themselves. I still think there's a psychological aspect to yep. the job that uh, you have to be skilled at and be able to talk a guy off the ledge. And I'm not saying that demands that it has to be a former player, but it helps if a guy's had some hitting experience to understand what's going on at the dish, you know? Yeah, I, I really think in this case... Having faced the pressures of major league hitting and having faced major league pitchers with pressure on you, I think that's a big part of it. I, think, I do think a lot of it is psychological. You're really not going to overhaul somebody's mechanics at this stage of their career. You're trying to put good ideas in their head. Exactly. As long as, long, as, long as if, they're at the, if they're balanced at the plate and they're ready to hit by the time the ball gets to the plate, that's what you want these guys for. They can have any freaking stance they want. They can crouch down like Ricky Henderson. They can stand upright like uh, who stood upright as a hitter? Uh, Ron Kittle, because I was a White Sox fan. Or it could be Cal Ripken, who changes his batting stance like five times every season. As long as you're in hitting, you're ready to, to turn the fan on. By the time the ball's in the hitting zone, that's what you want. And you know, talking to George Brett, who was a Charlie Law disciple, mm-hmm. love Charlie Law. And um, George was like. You know, I always laugh when I see guys in between pitches and they're, they're, they're pantomiming their swings uh, outside the batter's box. He's like, you've lost if you're doing it there. That stuff needs to happen in the batting cage. What I want to do is work my mechanics before and after games. And when I'm in the box, I just let the instincts take over. And that's what you want. Yeah, another great, another great, great hitter. Uh, yeah. We both had a chance to talk to a lot, you more than me. All right, let's reset things here for those who came, came in late. If you come up to us and ask Lavelle a question, and we use the question on the show, you will be eligible to win a Jim Cott bobblehead. Uh, and we'll pick the best question and give this out at the end of the show. We are live at O'Donovan's, downtown Minneapolis. Our show is sponsored here. Our live shows are sponsored by Grain Belt. There is a special during the show, which lasts till 6.30, Nordy's Pints. Uh, thanks to Aquarius Home Services, which uh, provides our studio. And here's more on Aquarius Home Services. 
Scott here for Aquarius Home Services. Fantastic news. We're having a Kinetico Midsummer Mega Sale. Ready for worry-free water, spotless dishes, and softer clothes? Ready for purified drinking water and removing contaminants like lead and those forever chemicals you hear about on the news? Now through August 12th, Aquarius is taking 25% off Kinetico whole home water treatment systems. And as your independent authorized Kinetico dealer, it all starts with a free water analysis. Schedule today at KineticoMN.com. Also, let you know that all energy solar panel installations are done right and made easy thanks to more than 14 years of experience in Minnesota and beyond. All energy solar is ready to take any solar project from design to installation and everything in between. Find out more about going solar at allenergysolar.com slash coach or just go to allenergysolar.com and find out everything you need to know about solar for your home or your business. And once again, thanks to Greenbelt and O'Donovan's. We'll be doing another live, sh live show downtown Minneapolis, August 24th. We'll get you more information as that date approaches. And that live show will include our, our partner, Roy Smalley, who's so, so great when we bring out to live shows, can explain hitting better than anybody. And uh, we'll tell some stories that might include Paul McCartney or <laughs> Oscar Gamble. Who else can tell stories about Paul McCartney and Oscar Gamble. Only Roy. Greatest Afro in, in, in baseball greatest history. Greatest Afro and greatest line in baseball history. I'll have I'll have Roy repeat that line on August 24th. You want to talk about batting stances? How about Oscar Gamble's? It was like he went to meek to furious. Like he crouched up like this in the corner of the batter's box. And all of a sudden, just jumps up and unleashes this crazy left-handed swing. 77 White Sox. It was Richie Zisk and Oscar Gamble. Both hit like 35 homers. My formative years in baseball were watching the great Orioles teams, late 60s, early 70s. But because in that market, we could wiggle the rabbit ears and we could get a station out of Philadelphia. So I got to watch Phillies games. Oscar Gamble's helmet never stayed on all the way to first base. Not once. Wow. What years was that? That would be early 70s. Was it Gary Mannix in those teams? And uh, yes, Larry Boa. Yep. And it wasn't Richie Allen. It's probably... After Richie. I think it was post-Richie, but, man, those teams were fun. Dave Cash? Yes, Dave Cash. Yeah. Harry Callis was the broadcast. <laughs> That's right. All right, so let's go back to the trading deadline. Trading deadline fast approaching here. We're, again, we're talking Tuesday afternoon. Do you think they do anything? I think uh, if they do something, it's going to be more of a relief type thing. But it's been weird. I mean, the Twins bullpen, it's actually been nails like the last, since it the has. break. And they're getting Thielbar and Stewart back. Yeah, that's where I'm, that's where I'm headed with this. Um, they, they call up guys like, uh, too bad De La Rosa got hurt. Um, like this Ortega guy comes up, and he's effective. And uh, I don't know what's happened to Emilio Pagan, but he's found some velocity, he's found confidence, and he's totally reversed uh, what happened to him in the first half. And people wanted him run out of town like they wanted Kepler out of town for a while. And I was like, I still see value with this guy. He's holding right-handers a 160 batting average, there's a way to use them. Just keep them out of high-pressure situations. Look what's happening now. Rocco's got to sneak him into high-pressure situations, and he's thriving. So they're getting healthy. I've been advocating. I said, you know, look for a bullpen arm. You, you don't need – I mean, you, you can't have too many good bullpen arm, arms, and it won't cost you a lot. You know, that's – I don't want to call it like a spare part, but it kind of is because you could probably flip some double-A person and get a credible reliever, you know. Um, but, man, I got to give it up. The, these guys have been really effective because the start rotation has not been as strong coming out of the break than it was going into the break. But the, the bullpen has stepped into the breach and have given them some quality innings. I don't see them adding a bat. 
um, just because I'm worried about the capital it would take to uh, get a, a Crabble hitter. Um, as soon as you start talking to a team about one of their bats, they're going to be like, what about Brooks Lee? What about Royce Lewis? Yep. Maybe Aston Martin. I don't know what his uh, prospect credibility is right now. But um, in the Twins, because they made so many trades, and a year ago they made two trades that are biting them now, the, the Spencer Steer and Incarnation Strand trade for Tyler Molly, which I would have done, but no one knew that Mo Molly was going to break down and never pitch for the Twins again. And then uh, Yenier Cano and Cade Povich for Jorge Lopez. And Cano starts off the year with 20 scoreless innings for Baltimore. Is that going to be sustainable? We'll have to wait, you know, in the future to see that. I still think Jorge has some value. Povich has got like a 5 ERA, so I'm not worried about him. So, but their prospect capital is gone. You know, they traded Steer because they had Miranda. They were willing to let go of Incarnation and Strand because they had Miranda. Wait a minute. Sorry. They had Julian. They traded right. Steer because they knew they had Julian. They traded the Incarnation and Strand because they knew they had Miranda and Royce Lewis. So that's not a strength anymore, you know. So uh, I think they're going to – I think, you know, they got to be mindful of what the farm system is going to look like in the next few years. Well, if Royce, Julian – and Brooks Lee produce, it's going to make people feel a lot better about trading those hitters away. Here's the other thing. I had somebody tell me yesterday that Jenkins, the number one pick they just signed, they just had a press conference for him today, that Royce Lewis was the number one pick in the draft the year he came out, and he's a wonderful talent and a wonderful player. I've had people tell me that Jenkins is a better prospect than Royce Lewis. He just happened to go in a year when there were more high-end talent Wow. The top of the draft. Well, yeah, I read more than, more, more than one place that Jenkins would have been the top prospect in other drafts. Yep. Um, so I, I totally get that. I understand that. And that's impressive. Uh, it looks like the guy's got a great physique, uh, 6'3", 205 already. Um, he can grow into like a Goldschmidt-type looking guy. Apparently he's got great makeup. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of how fast he adapts, you know? So... Um, you never know. You never know. This is why drafting kids is such a crapshoot because you, you, you look at the first round every year, there's about 15 busts, mm -hmm. you know, and then there's 10 guys who end up just being okay players, and then there's five good players, you know. So, and a lot of money has been spent trying to find those five good players in every round. So, uh, it's not easy, but you're encouraged by everything you, 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 uh, you read about Walker, definitely. And the other thing here... I'm actually going to write a column about this. But uh, the Twins are going to hold a place in Cincinnati Reds history if the Reds win the division and start going to the playoffs annually because they have revitalized their organization. They, they sent them Steer and Ekonosian Strand. They sent them uh, Chase Penny, who threw 100 miles an hour in high school, for Sonny Gray. And they took Royce Lewis instead of Hunter Green, and the Reds took Hunter Green. <laughs> so wa watch how that uh, transpires. I'm, I'm almost shocked at how good Myatt has pitched. He's been so good. He was so good on Monday. I mean, the, he's got his velocity back. He's got the spin rate back. He's, his command, he's so smart. He's one of those people, I enjoy watching him pitch as much as anybody. I, I agree. Um, the thing about Maeda, he doesn't have to do it as much, but he still does it. He does a great job of heighting the fastball. Yep. Like, he gets guys with breaking stuff and off-speed stuff. And then he pops with the fastball when they're not expecting it. And it takes craftiness and experience, you know, and uh, it's a know-how to be able to execute like that. So 
is that you actually get more enjoyment out of watching someone finesse their way through a batting order than a guy's just overpowering people sometimes, yep. you know. Because you look at Maeda, oh, my God, Maeda's facing, who did he, who did he, he faced a, a, actually a decent lineup recently, within the last month and kind of held him at bay for like six innings. And, you know, you see him do stuff like that, and that's what makes you, that's what's fun about baseball. When a guy like that, who's had surgery, who doesn't throw heat, can sit there and just outsmart you and rely on command and control to get things done. So we're coming to the last quarter of the show. I'm going to ask the big picture question about this team, this market, this ballpark, this fan base. Let's say it keeps going like this, which I think it will. My guess is the Twins are going to win the division by like 10 games. My guess is they're going to win 86 to 88 games, win the division by 10 games, and have a home playoff series. Will this fan base allow themselves to enjoy that, or will they just complain that they're winning a bad division? This, I don't know if this market is unique in this, but I'm guessing it happens in a lot of other markets. But the narrative shifts so frequently with the fan base here because people were skeptical going into the regular season about the Twins. When they got out to a promising start, um, all of a sudden they said, if they don't get out of the first round of the playoffs, the season's a failure. It just went from, yep. we don't know about this team, to... Oh, we got to hold. The, we got to move the bar on this team now. They they better win a playoff series, you know. And then over the last couple months, it's been helter skelter with the offense sputtering, and you know the Twins threatening to, to fall out of first place and stay out of first place. But now they're playing well again. So I think until mid September, people will allow themselves to be happy. I think they will. I don't. I have not met a happy Twins fan. But once you get to mid September and the playoffs are starting to come around the corner. Oh, no, we don't have enough hitting. Oh, our 18-game postseason losing streak. Oh, I don't care if the 87 Twins won 85 games. <laughs> uh, that's a totally different team, by the way, though. That was a more of a veteran team than this group. Yes. And because Gaetti and Herbeck and Laudner and Brunanski were all in their fifth years, and they was like, we got it's either pull up or shut up with us. Oh, they're going to start. So they had motivation. They just, it just took a while for them to get going. And they were horrible on the road. They won 51 games at home. 51 of their 85 wins are at home. And guess what? That team won a terrible division yes. by winning 85 games. That's one of the worst divisions in baseball history. They usually, and it was back when it was just the East and the West. It was a large division, right. and they were the only decent team in the division. So I, I, I have trouble figuring out why Twins fans are so opposed to the idea of winning a bad division when the first championship they ever cared about. They won a bad division. They won a bad division. Right. But it, I'm, and what I'm saying is these two teams, that's the only comparison that these two teams Right. Yeah, they're have. very different. It'll be crummy divisions. But well, and, and they're completely different teams. This team has much better pitching depth. Right. Much better pitching overall. And younger hitters. That team had excellent veteran position players and two starting pitchers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bly Levin and Viola. And then Les Straker was their, their third starter. And Les freaking striker. I, I, talked, I spoke with Andy McPhail recently. He reminded me that Viola and Blylevin made 45% of their starts that year. Yep. 45%. Isn't that amazing? That was crazy. You know, and then... Um, and once they get past striker, they had nobody. No. No, they tried... Remember, they, they traded for uh, Joe Negro. Yep. Negro got off to a good start, then got busted with the em uh, for scuffing baseballs. Yep. They came back. There was a, a brawl. It was like the third one in three years with the Brewers. And Rob Deere threw him in the ground and hurt his shoulder. And then he didn't come back to like September. They tried 41-year-old Steve Carlton yep. for a while. Allie and, Anderson pitched a little bit. Yeah. You know, Andy was pounding his chest over 
There was one game in October, a series in August. Well, um, they had fallen to just a game ahead of Oakland, and Oakland was in town. And back-to-back -back nights, um, Necro and Carlton pitched them into the ninth inning. And they were able to kind of battle back, bat yeah. and bat, hold off the A's there, yeah. and they kind of surged from there to, to win the division. So it's actually a really interesting season. Fascinating season. Yeah. And they almost choked the way their lead at the end, and they finally turned it around. Right. Right. They won the first. They got hot at the end. of They played Kansas City Kansas at City. home. And then he went to Texas and clinched. Yep. And then they lost every game the rest of the season. That's right. <laughs> yep. Man. Okay, we're, uh, we're down to about 13, 14, 15 minutes. Uh, reminder, the next 15 minutes, $5 Nordy's Pints are available because we're doing the Chin Music Show here, and we are sponsored by Grain Belt. Uh, reminder, next live show is August 24th. Uh, thanks again to Brandon Morton for putting the live show together as usual. And, hey, you got about 12 minutes, 15 minutes, to win this bobblehead, come up, ask a question. Win a bobblehead over here. If you want to win a bobblehead, come up, ask a live question. We'll answer your question, and you'll be eligible to win a Jim Cott bobblehead. Uh, Jim Cott, one of the great, greatest ambassadors in baseball. Two Twins pitchers are among the greatest ambassadors in baseball history. Jim Cott and Latroy Hawkins. I would agree. Um, Latroy is fantastic, and it's great to see someone like him because I remember his, uh, you had him when he was really early. Yep. Early in his career, I came on a little bit after you, but to see where he was at then to where he is now, it's been a great journey because uh, he had to learn a lot about pitching in his younger days. And he had electric stuff, didn't know what to do with it, um, didn't know how to work hitters, didn't work well as a starter. I think one of the best things happened to him is Rick Anderson became the pitching coach and had to yep. kind of a, a, a fresh voice, a fresh uh, set of thoughts to help him with. And then he started going to other teams and getting the experience from these other teams. And he ended up having like a 20-year career. Yep. Oh, man. It's, he's outstanding. And Cott, I mean, no one articulates pitching better than Jim Cott. Um, for years on the Yes Network doing Yankees games. Um, just hear him talk about pitching in the old days. Like he was laughing a couple of years ago when they were talking about um, um, changing the signs to second base. He was like, yeah, I get a runner on second. I just do this to my glove. And that's how you change the signs. You know, I don't know why this is such a big thing today. You know, but they get all wound up about stealing signs at second. You know, um, little stuff like that. It kind of keeps you grounded. It makes you feel smarter after you're done talking with them. Yeah, no doubt. And by the way, Latroy, I, uh, he was their top pitching prospect. He was lighting, lighting up a ball, pitching at Fort Wayne, Indiana. Horrible little ballpark. Uh, back when most minor league ballparks were terrible. And I went down to do a story on him. He dropped more F-bombs during that conversation than I've, than I've heard in a Richard Pryor or a Chris Rock routine. He was, he was a little raw. Then he comes up as a top pitching prospect. It did not go well for him as a starter. It did not go well for him as a closer. All right. Finally settles in. And then he has that game in Oakland where he throws 100 miles an hour in the eighth inning of a game that they that they win their last playoff, the last playoff series they ever they have won was Latroy Hawkins throwing 100 miles an hour, and they, and Latroy developed from kind of a raw young guy to being like one of the, I mean every fan base he went to he yeah. formed a a fan club yes and he stayed in touch with those people and he was friends with them and he talked to them after every game it just nobody does that with us he was raw you know yeah. But you would see, like, these regular people surround him after games and yeah. he's talking and laughing with him, you know. So I think he just liked having those two sides. And the, I think with him becoming a closer, because um, I remember the first time he did it, we were on the road, and he blew his game, and he was just mad after the game, just mad. And 
screaming, and then we were done interviewing him. I walked up. I said, you know what? You know what the problem is, is that you're used to talking to us after you start a game and you go and either take a shower, ice down, or have a chance to catch your breath. And even though you may drop a couple F-bombs in, but come, coming in the, after you pitch the ninth inning, you're still hot. Yeah. He's like, oh, I know, I know, yeah. I know, I know. So uh, that was something you had to learn through the years, man. But, uh, yeah, we were queer for him. What a queer for Eddie. Those two guys, you know, um, that could be one. Um, she was eyeing the bobblehead. So, uh, you know, the careers they had and the things they've seen and the people they faced and the stuff, you know, Latroy didn't get any respect for umpires for years. There was a game in Tampa Bay. He threw a ball right down the middle of the plate to Wade Boggs. And the umpire goes ball. You know, stuff like that he had to put up with early in his career. He's a survivor. Well, we're sitting here talking about, you know, we were ready to get rid of Kepler. People were ready to get rid of Pagan. You know, on and on and on. Latroy and Eddie are the ultimate examples of patience. Yeah. They failed as starters. They had to they had to take lesser roles to figure out how to pitch out of the bullpen. And twins loved the way they worked, stuck with them. They end up being, you know, all-star caliber relievers. Yep, exactly. And you know, and even today it's more, you know, so many pitchers come up through the, the pike as highly touted starters and end up being relievers by the time they get to the majors. You know, and you need patience as to as they you know, reinvent themselves and, and find pitches that work later in games and learn how to do short outings and things like that. Um, Fabi told me that like 50% of pitchers now, 50% uh, of starting pitching prospects make their debut as a reliever. Yep. You know, um, and God, I remember covering the Royals when Eddie Guardado was starting for the Twins. You know, God, they, that 96 team almost hit its way into the postseason. That was the year that, yeah. that both Molitor and Knobloch hit 341. Cordoba had a big year, I think. He had a big year. Yep. Um, but uh, you had Brad Rackey and, what, Rich Robertson? And Brad Eddie Rackey, Rich Robertson, not Frank, much Frankie else. Rodriguez? Frankie Rodriguez. It, well, if, Agu if Aguilar and Puckett had been healthy that year, they would have been in the playoffs. Yeah. Yep. Aggie was going to be a starter on that team, and Puckett was going to drive in 150 runs. Yeah, just think about Puckett. With Knobloch and Molitor batting 341, what he would have done with that. Knobloch hit 341. Rich Becker hit 306 with a high on base percentage. Rich Becker. Um, Molitor hit 341. Puckett was going to bat clean up behind those guys. He would have driven in 150 runs easy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, coming down the last few minutes here. Uh, again, for about seven more minutes, $5 Nordy's Pints, courtesy of Grain Belt and Talk North Podcast Network and the Chin Music Baseball Show. Uh, appreciate Donovan's having us here. A uh, few more minutes. If you want to ask a question, you can still win the Jim Cott bobblehead. That's the last time I'm going to say it, though. If we don't give it away today, we'll give it away on August 24th. And thanks to everyone who came out, whether you came here for the show or just because you like O'Donovan's, we do appreciate you being here. Jordan, okay, we just talked about Cordado and Hawkins. Right. Failed starters, end up in the bullpen, end up having great careers. Is that what we're going to see out of Jordan Balazovic? Uh, possibly. I mean, you know, it was just, what, four years ago he was, like, their top starting yep. pitcher prospect. You know, I saw him, like, five years ago in spring training. I'm on the backfields of Fort Myers. I'm like, man, this guy can sink it. He can run it. He's got – it was kind of like Scott, Scott, harder throwing Scott Baker, I thought, you know. Um, but then he had setbacks. He had injury setbacks. And then the inexplicable bar incident uh, in spring training here. Um, I didn't think he was going to be called up this year. I didn't expect to see him up here. Uh, but he's one of the gang. He's there with Brock Stewart. He's there with De La Rosa. He's there with Ortega. Guys, four guys from St. Paul that they needed during the season. 
to uh, bridge the gap, and they've done it. They've done it. He does not look overwhelmed. He's throwing strikes. You know, he believes in his stuff. And that says a lot for a young, a young pitcher or inexperienced pitcher because we've seen so many guys, you know, poop in their pants when they first get up to the majors and start facing. Uh, the, a few years ago, the Twins had a guy named John Curtis threw 97 miles an hour and had an inning in which I think he allowed seven base runners and, <laughs> and didn't get a single batter out. You know, but on the, here's on the other end of the spectrum, I got a Balogzovich, you know, and he's learned, he probably learned some life lessons. This and then spring training probably, you know, affected him and, and made it, he turned it into a positive. But, you know, he's contributing to, to a team that's going to win the division. This also reminds me, his success reminds me of some conversations I've had with people like Michael Kadire, Gordado, in that, and Blylevin. And they basically said, you know, if I have to go to the minor leagues for a rehab start, or if I have to pitch to a B lineup in spring training, I just can't get myself fired up enough. I can't get enough adrenaline going to perform at a major league level. I think some people are better major league players than minor league players. They, they thrive off the atmosphere, the pressure, the understanding of the importance of the situation, knowing that there were that big rewards around the corner if they perform well. And also, some pitchers are better pitching to big leaguers because they can, they can, they know what a big leaguer hitter is going to think. Right. You pitch some guy in Double A, he might be just see ball, hit ball. You pitch to, you pitch to a big league hitter, you can actually work him. You can make him think about what he's doing. I agree with that. Um, even before, like the last couple of years, because now the minor leagues use the same, Triple A uses the same baseballs as Major League Baseball now. That wasn't the case for a long time. So, I mean, there's, there is relievers that came up here and grabbed a major league ball and said, wait a minute, I can manip manipulate this ball better than I can a minor league ball yep. and saw their stuff tick up, you know. Um, the thing, too, getting, being challenged at the right time in your development, too. Yep. Um, you know, sometimes guys get stale at double-A. As soon as you get them a triple-A, even though they got modest numbers, you know, they respond. You know, it's up to uh, staffs to have clear vision of what a player can be and kind of knowing when it's time to, to uh, move them up and – you have to ignore when an established major leaguer may be on a rehab assignment or, uh, or has to go down for some tinkering and gives it up, too, because uh, they may be working on a certain pitch. I'm just going to work on throwing my changeup and getting the feel for my changeup today. I don't care about the results. Or, you know, like you said, lack of fire because it's not no, there's no longer a third deck in the stands. You know, it's not as loud. And you're in, like, Iowa City or something. <laughs> Des Moines. <laughs> You and I are both former Twins beat writers, writing general columns now for the Star Tribune. So we're both covering Twins, Vikings, everything else around town. I gotta ask you a Vikings question: Have you ever heard a worse excuse for anything than I was driving 140 miles an hour because I had a dog emergency at 3 a.m.? Well, here's the thing that drove me up the wall about this because I just took it for granted that he was out in Minneapolis that night and was driving back and he was headed home because I just took it for granted that. He says Viking players train in Egan, that they lived in the Egan, Invergrove Heights area, and that he was going east on 94 to go south on 52 to get him to Egan and Invergrove Heights. He's living in Minatrista. So what? what is he doing going eastbound in St. Paul at 3 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> and where the hell is his dog if he's going east on 94? And I love dogs. I don't know if I would do 140 miles an hour for one. I love my dogs, but... <laughs> My dog has never texted me and said, you got to get home right now. <laughs> exactly. Right. The dog was with him. Like, what, 
What's the name of the dog? What breed was it? Why was it a dog emergency at 3 o'clock? Or maybe he meant D-A-double-G and not D-O-G, and the officer just didn't understand what he was saying. That's the answer right there. Oh, God. I said, I said this on our Viking shows. He needed to go to the rookie symposium that featured Chris Carter. And Chris Carter told all the rookies, you got to have a fall, fall guy. guy. you got to have somebody you can blame for it. you got to have, like, a blow-up doll in the back you can stick in the, in the front seat if you get caught. I can't believe Chris let that, let that be known. It's fantastic. I'd say Ontario Smith's thing about the Wizardator. Well, I was bringing it for someone else. <laughs> that's like his cousin. That's a, yes, it's always your cousin or your dog. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get a final thought from Lavelle on anything he likes. One more time, live at O'Donovan's. Thanks to O'Donovan's for having us. Thanks, Dermot. We do appreciate it. Next live show will be August 24th in downtown Minneapolis. Thanks to Grain Belt for sponsoring the live shows. And thanks to our sponsors, Aquarius Home Services and All Energy Solar, allenergysolar.com. And thanks, as always, to our longtime producer, Brandon, Brandon Morton. Morton. Check out all the shows at talknorth.com. If you like the show, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It's the easiest way to listen. It is also free. Go to talknorth.com. Check out all the sports shows, all the outdoor shows, and all of the variety shows. And we do appreciate you listening. Lavelle, give us a final thought on anything you like. It's at it's 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday, July 25th. I'm going to give you a prediction and uh -oh. not just a thought. Uh-oh. Not only will the Twins win the division, but they will end the 18-game postseason losing streak this year. They're not just winning the division, but they're going to win postseason games. With this rotation and enough offense, they're going to get it done. This is the year to end the most embarrassing postseason streak in North American sports history. Will they win a playoff series for the that, first time since 2002? Depends on the matchup. I think it would be Houston. I think it would be Houston as a wild card. Probably I think. right now. Yeah. So uh, I, I play Houston right now because Alvarez is injured and yeah. two, Altuve's out of the lineup. Because <laughs> the last time the Twins played it was 2020 when they had a better team. Remember, Houston was a wild card team that year. Yes. And the Twins <laughs> offense disappeared Twins once again. I don't know what it is about the Twins in offense. <laughs> um, in, 2020, in 2019, the Bomber Squad year, they played the Yankees in the first round. Yep. They lost game one. Game two, Randy Dobnak's about to start. Yep. But I'm trying to figure out why did this powerful offense all of, a start, all of a sudden stop. Marley Rivera from ESPN is with me. She's like, let's go on the field and talk to some of the Latin players. I'll translate. So we go down on the field just to chat with the Latin players. We get to Miguel Sano, and she basically asks him, what happened to the offense yesterday? Where, where are you guys at offensively? And Miguel said, we have lost our minds. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. That, I went back up to the press box thinking, this team's already lost oh this game. It hasn't, it hasn't been a th pitch thrown yet. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's beautiful. Hey, great stuff, Lavelle. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back again uh, soon. Uh, we'll get the schedule out as soon as we can. Thanks to Dermot. Thanks to O'Donovan. Thanks to Grain Belt. Thanks to Brandon. We'll talk to you soon.